following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. After three years of traveling down Interstate 10 and Highway 90, um, pulling travel, uh, travel trailers, moving trailers, boat trailers, you name it, uh, we pretty much know every pothole, <laughs> and there's a lot of them. Uh, we know all the rough spots. We know all the smooth stop spots. Something else we're aware of is uh, all of the speed zones. We, we know every speed limit sign. We know uh, where the St. Mary Parish line is. Uh, we know where all the state troopers sit at. We know where all the local cops sit at. We see them. I mean, just after traveling the roads for three solid years, sometimes two and three times a week, we know all the details of what's going on. And so some of us pay attention to speed limit signs and some of us do not. Uh, those of you who do not, you know what the penalty for that is. Unfortunately, I'm one of them. I haven't had one in a long time, but I have had one in the past. I haven't had one since I've been your pastor here. I'll, I'll just say that much. <laughs> it's been that long. But those speed limit signs, uh, other signs that are put up along the way, school zones, hospital zones, work zones, truck entering into the, into the highway, uh, construction side. Uh, just recently around New Iberia, they've got an area where you've got to slow down to 55 miles an hour. You've got to move over to the left-hand lane. You've got to do all of this to get preparation and get ready because they're, they're actually making some improvements to the roads in that area. Praise the Lord. <laughs> But uh, you have to pay attention to those signs or else you're going to suffer the penalty. Now, are they going to come right out and stand at that stop sign and say, you got to stop here, you got to slow down here? No, that's that's up to you to obey and heed those warnings that come along. Because if you don't, you have to suffer the consequences if you get called. And those, those warning signs are there for a reason. Uh, some people do not heed them. Some people do. And so that's the same way with the messages that we get in God's word. And, and like I said earlier, we want to be doers of the word and not just hearers only. So these prophets that we've been going through in this sermon series, that was their, that was their duty. We talked about that when we discussed uh, Ezekiel and Isaiah about the sword of judgment falling. You know, you can either heed this warning, I've done my part. Uh, you, now it's up to you to do something with it. And the same way with those speed limit signs. The warnings are there. They're there for a reason. If you don't see a speed limit sign, what's the speed limit you're supposed to slow down to? What is the assumed speed limit? Uh, uh, what if it's in the neighborhood, though? <laughs> 25, okay. I'm just checking you. But God's word is given to us for a reason. It is a guideline for us. God, God's not going to force his will upon you, but he says, here are the rules that I want you to go by. In the Old Testament, he framed it up nice and neat in the Ten Commandments. Uh, and then in the New Testament, he gives us even more. Look, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, humility, and self-control. He said, those are the things that you should exhibit it if the Holy Spirit of God lives within you. It's right there in God's Word. We're, we're going to start that study tonight when we look at the book of Galatians. I uh, hope you'll join us for that. But God is not going to force his will upon you. He gives you the message. He sends you messengers. He sends you reminders. And sometimes he'll even put you in a what I call a spiritual timeout. He'll put you in a time where you have to be still and know that he is God. He wants to get your attention. He wants you to reflect on what he's told you. 
And we're going to look at that this morning in one of what we call the minor prophets. His name is Jonah. Very familiar prophet. We, the other ones we've discussed, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, they're all the major prophets. Not because their message was more important than the others, but because their books were so much larger than the other ones. Jonah is only four chapters long, and it's very similar to the book of Ruth. Each chapter is kind of like a stage or an act in a play. Uh, they represent a different transition that Jonah went through. The preacher, do you really believe this business about a man being swallowed by a big fish, staying in there for three days, being spit up on the shore and then going to preach. Well, let me tell you this much. It's a story that Jesus frequently pointed to. And he said, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the earth three days and three nights. There's my stamp of approval. If it's good enough for Jesus, if he verifies it, then I'm going to believe it as well. Amen? And so Jesus reflected to many of these prophets, but that was one prophet in particular and one incident in particular that he pointed specifically to, and he said, just as it happened to Jonah, it's going to happen to me. So the picture of Jonah, the picture that is created, is somewhat of a prophetic picture of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. But there's so much more to learn in the book of Jonah. We're not going to read the entire chapter. We're not going to read the entire book. We're not going to start off. This is going to be somewhat a little bit different than my normal uh, messages. We're just going to start right in. I'm going to give you a couple of highlights in the book. Uh, and we're going to cover the whole thing because I want us to understand about what happened to Jonah, why he was in this storm, why he was in the belly of the fish, and why all these bad things happened to him before he went to the city of Nineveh and preached the message that God gave him. Jonah was given a second chance. Not just once did the word of the Lord come to him, but after he was out of the belly of the fish, the word of the Lord came to him a second time. Jonah hesitated the first time. God said, go east, and Jonah went west. He went in the opposite direction. We're all familiar with Jonah. We look at Jonah, and we say, you know, I would have never done that baloney. <laughs> We've all done it, every one of us. I ran for a long time. Some of you here ran for a long time. Some of you here right now, you're still running from the Lord. But when God gives us a message, when he speaks to us, when we hear his voice, what causes us to hesitate? So we're learning all about uh, open our ears, Lord. We're learning about how to hear from the Lord. And that's what I want us to do is once we get that message, once we learn how to speak from God, I want us to be instantly obedient in what the Lord is telling us to do. My calling is not the same as Jonah's calling. My calling is not the same as your calling either. And so God is speaking to all of us on different levels, and he's asking us to do different things. But are you being obedient? And my hope and prayer is that you will never hesitate when God speaks to you and when God puts his finger on an area of your life and says, I want you to change this and I want you to change it now. So chapter one is when the word of the Lord came to Jonah first. And the point I want to make on this is that far too often when God speaks to us, our natural tendency is to resist. Our natural tendency is to resist. Look at verse one in the book of Jonah. It says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, 
and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Now in those days, everyone was afraid of the inhabitants of the city of of Nineveh. They were horrible people. They would impale their victims of war. They would skin them alive. They would burn them in hot oil. They would boil them alive. They were just very cruel, and Jonah knew that. Jonah knew that they were enemies of Israel as well. So Jonah says, if I will go and speak to them, they're going to get justice. They're going to get God's mercy. They're going to be forgiven of the things. So I'm not going to, I want them to get their just rights. I want them to get what's coming to them. So I would rather be disobedient to the Lord and let them suffer because of the atrocities that they've done. So here's what the word of the Lord says to Jonah. It says, arise and go to Nineveh. The first thing that we notice is that this prophet is somewhat complacent. Perhaps he hasn't been doing what the Lord has been asking him to do. We see Jonah in somewhat of a neutral um, mode here. He's not doing anything because the Lord tells him, you've got to get up from what you're doing. You can't be still any longer. You can't quit resisting what I'm telling you to do, but you have to get up and do what I'm telling you to do. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. When is the last time that the word of the Lord has come to you? Last week, the young man that filled in for me, Joshua Winton, I thought his message fell in so properly with what we've been going through. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, 2, it says that God reveals and redeems us through his word was one of the main points in his message. And so we have the written word of God. We have God's revelation to us now written in the word of the Lord. And so this is the revelation to Jonah. This is what the God, this is what God is revealing to Jonah. It's not a general revelation to Jonah. It is a very, very specific revelation. And the message was clear. But was Jonah resistant to this message? Absolutely, 100%. No doubt about it. He resisted God's message that he received. Now, before you get too critical of Jonah, when was the last time that you got to one of those speed zones and you were maybe driving a little bit faster than what you should have and you automatically slowed down? Or did you say, that person in front of me is not slowing down. If they can do it, I can do it. If they can get away with it, why can't I? That's not the way it applies to God's word. We don't worry about what God is saying to someone else. We worry about what he's saying specifically to us. And this is a situation that Jonah was in as well. I don't need to worry about what the Ninevites are doing. I don't need to worry about what the other prophets are doing. What I need to worry about is what God is speaking to Jonah. And Jonah refused to go in the direction that the Lord told him to do. But let me ask you this. Before you're too critical with Jonah, when was the last time God told you to do something and you were instantly obedient? Our natural tendency is to resist what God is telling us to do. And our natural tendency is to not get into God's word because if we see something in God's word that applies to us, that we are then obligated to obey it. So my best option is to stay out of God's word 
Ignorance for the law is no excuse, though, is it? And if God wants to get your attention, he's going to get your attention one way or the other. See, we we all have some type of revelation in our life. We have what is known as a natural revelation. The book of Romans chapter 1 says that anyone can go out and look and say, that you know, this didn't happen by chance. There has to be a creator that put all of this. I can look and see the birds in the sky, see the sun coming up and the moon coming up, the stars in the sky. And I have to think that some divine creator has put all of that in place. That is a natural revelation. But when you get into God's word and you see something like this, arise, go to Nineveh, great and wicked city, and cry out against it. That is a very specific revelation that God is giving to Jonah. And so when you get into God's word and you see that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that there are none righteous and no, not one, God's speaking to me about that. I fall into that category and you do too. And those are very specific revelations that the Lord provides to us. We can see through this text, this whole text, Jonah chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4, that there was a good chance that Jonah was naturally hesitant to fulfill the duties of God's prophets. Look at the first part of Jonah's marching orders. He says, arise. The implication here is that Jonah was already stagnant. He was complacent. And he wasn't fulfilling his role as a prophet the way that he should have. He was in neutral and God tells Jonah, get up. Don't sit still any longer. Don't be disobedient. Don't be resistant. Don't hide from me. I know where you're at. I know what you're doing. I know what you're not doing. But I also know that there's a group of people 120,000 people that are living in spiritual darkness that need to hear a message from me. And I want you to deliver that message to them. Because God's love is for everyone, no matter how mean, how nasty they are. No matter what they've done, no matter what their past is, just like the Ninevites, God wants to save all men. But he doesn't force his will upon them. Do we hide from God? Is it our natural tendency not just to resist God but to intentionally try to hide from him anybody ever hid from God how'd that work out for you (laughs) I've ran from him before and he caught up with me I knew I was in the wrong I knew what God wanted me to do I was disobedient and just like Jonah Jonah had to go through a storm here's the thing about Jonah's situation Jonah tried to hide he paid the price to get on the ship to go to Tarsus. Tarsus. And then once he was on the ship, he went down to the hull of the boat, the deepest part he could get to, and he tried to hide. But God caused a storm to come upon the sea where they were at. God was trying to get Jonah's attention. The captain of the ship realized it before Jonah did. He went down to Jonah. He said, get up. Don't you know our lives are at stake right here? Where are you from? Who are you? What's going on? Why are you down here asleep when the rest of us are fighting this storm? Jonah said, I'm a Hebrew. I'm running from God. That struck fear into the heart of the captain and the sailors of the ship. Jonah knew he was in the wrong and he knew he was trying to hide from God and he knew that he could not get away no matter what. So the German philosopher Soren Kierkegaard had this to say about hiding from God. 
He said we often use reason to hide from God. We use what is good to evade what is good. End of quote. Most of the times we try to hide from God in busyness. We say, God, I got to support my family. You know, I got to have a job. I got to make that overtime to make sure that my kids have clothes on their feet, food on the table. Lord, you, you've given me this ministry. I, I can't do anything else because I can't even ministry sometimes. Sometimes we use good things to keep us occupied that will keep us from getting to the best thing that God wants for our life. So here's Jonah. He's hiding from the Lord. And God says, Jonah, get up and go. And guess what? Jonah did get up and go. But he didn't go in the direction that God wanted him to go in. He said, Jonah, I want you to get up and go, not just to any random location. I want you to go to Nineveh, a place that Jonah did not want to go. Some of you right here, God's saying, I want you to go. I want you to go to your neighbor across the street. Maybe you haven't talked to him in several years. Maybe something has happened to create some friction. Maybe you have a family member that needs to be here on friend day, and God has already spoken to you about going to that family member and said, hey, look, make amends with them. Get it right and let them know that there's a place here at First Baptist Church for them. Is God being specific with you right now about the place that he wants you to go, the people that he wants you to minister to, or maybe the ministry that he wants you to be involved in? So why did God need a witness to go to Nineveh? Because there were 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness who have not yet heard about the mercy of God and his forgiveness. Where's God asking you to go right now? Are you hesitant or are you all out resisting and trying to hide from God? Invite someone to friend day next week. Do what it takes to get them there. Be obedient to what the Lord is asking you to do. You see, most of the time we resist when we know that God has a specific destination for us to serve that may be somewhat below our expectations. God, I'm overqualified for that. Maybe those people don't deserve your mercy. Maybe someone else will go and speak to them instead of me. Most of the times we go through more work to get out of work then it would have been easier to have just done it in the first. Have anybody ever worked with someone like that? I used to work with people like that all the time. They had a job that they needed to do on that shift, and they would normally go through more trouble to get out of that one job than if they would have just done that one job to begin with. So think about all the trouble that Jonah went through to get out of the marching orders that the Lord had for him. He paid the fare when he went down to Joppa to get on the ship. Jonah paid the fare to get away from God. He had to go through a storm. He had to tell the sailors, throw me off of the ship and the storm will cease. He had to go through so much more effort to get away from God than if he would have been obedient in the first place. And when we read through chapter three in just a moment, we're gonna see that it was so easy. Jonah marched into the city and he preached a sermon that according to scripture was only eight words long. Some of you are saying, Brother Tracy, when are you going to learn how to preach like that? (laughs) 
Hey, we could get it. We get home in time for the saints if you had just an eight-word sermon. The situation was a lot different for Jonah, though. Where he was going, it was ripe. They were ready. They needed to hear God's word, and they responded accordingly. So why did Jonah hesitate and resist? Because he didn't want to see the Ninevites saved. He wanted to see God's wrath poured out upon them because he thought that's what they deserved. Verse 3, after Jonah got the message from the Lord, he arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. I'm going to talk to the young people and the kids that are here just a little bit. Don't run from God. Right now, while you're young, learn how to obey God the first time that he speaks to you. And your life will be so much easier. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Those are the words written by King Solomon to his son. And young people, if you'll learn how to let the Lord direct your path, life will be so much easier for you. Next point I want to make uh, happens in chapter 2. And it has to do with us here in the church. Those that we, we know we're, we're bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, we're born again, we're Christians there's something that we need to do. We expect the outside world to get right when there's some issues in our own life that we need to deal with. You see, the Lord sent Jonah to Nineveh, but Jonah had some issues that he had to work out first. Jonah had to go through a storm, and Jonah had to spend three days and three nights on a foam blubber mattress inside the belly of a fish before he got right. And when he got right, revival broke out in Nineveh. So point number two is this. Not only do we naturally resist when God speaks to us, but when we do get the word of God, when he asks us to do something, when he tells us to get things right, our culture that we live in today, our culture will never be impacted by the gospel until God's people truly repent. I'm just going to get with you right now. What's holding you back? What's holding back revival from our church? What's holding back revival from St. Mary Parish? What's keeping God from really moving in a mighty and powerful way here in our congregation? There's something that you need to repent of. If there's something that you're dealing with, if there's something that you're struggling with, if there's something that's causing God's hand of blessing to not fall upon you, If there's something that's keeping you from hearing God's word, why not repent of it? Just say, God, cleanse me, forgive me, and make me a worthy vessel to be used for you. Search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Dr. Steve Horn was here earlier this year preaching that very message. Last year, we went through the Change Me study guide that was all about drawing a circle around yourself. And before the world around you can be impacted, you say, God, what do I need to do first to get right with you and see true revival? Isn't it time for us to repent of our complacency? Haven't we been in neutral long enough? That's why the world around us is falling apart because Christians aren't speaking up about the love of God, the forgiving power of the blood of Jesus Christ. And we need to repent of that. 
Here's what David wrote in Psalms chapter 119, verse 136, if you want to write this verse down. David was broken over the condition of Israel. And he said, rivers of water run down my eyes because men do not keep your law. When is the last time you really wept over someone's sinful condition? When is the last time that you've really been broken over the condition of our country? When is the last time you've looked at the way our culture is eroding away, going in the wrong direction, and you've cried about the condition? Most of the times that happens because we know we have the solution, we have the answer, and we have failed to communicate that with the world around us, and we need to repent of that. I need to repent of that. You need to repent of that. The church as a whole needs to repent of that because we have been complacent for far too long. David said, man, I, I see what's going on in my country. Around me. And, and when I lay down on my bed at night, there's just rivers of tears flowing out of my eyes because I'm broken over the sinful condition of mankind. And that's a feeling that Jonah failed to feel. That was an emotion that was far away from Jonah. He was not broken over 120,000 people dying and going to hell. And God had to change that in his life. Look at what happens in chapter 2. Jonah is in the belly of the whale. The, the sailors had thrown him overboard. He was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. In verse 1 it says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. I hope that you don't have to get in the belly of a fish before you really start praying about God to change your heart and to change your life and to change your attitude about the world around us. Because that's exactly what, and I think that's the whole reason this story is in here. So the church will see this and say, God, I've got to get right before the world around me gets right. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly and he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me, out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the floods surround me. All your billows, your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Do you think the Lord had Jonah's undivided attention at this point? I think so. When you see on TV right now what's going on over in the nation of Israel, that should get your attention. Because we know when things break loose over there that the end is near. Is this it? I don't know. We've been through this before. Are you praying for the the situation over in Israel right now? Are you praying for Israel? That's That's still God's chosen people. We know what the outcome is going to be. God is against those who are against his people. He promised that to Abraham. But for us here in the United States, are we broken? Are we praying for our country? Do we see what's going on around us in our government, in our schools, in our public libraries? Do you see what's going on around you? And Does it bring about a sense of brokenness? If not, you need to repent of that. What is it going to take for our community to come to Jesus Christ? There's over 50,000 people between Amelia and Patterson right here in our area. In this world today, there's 8 billion people. 
And 3.4 billion of those people have been unreached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They don't even know who Jesus is. What can we do to be involved? Out there in, our, in the foyer on the uh, bulletin board, there, there's a poster about what the International Mission Board has done. You see some numbers of people who have been saved and how many times the gospel has been presented. But right now, as it stands, even in our modern world, where all we got to do is click a button and we can share the gospel with someone. Man, if the Apostle Paul would have had the internet and social media these days, I, I'm thinking he's probably looking down on that and says, why aren't you reaching more people than what you are? You have so many more resources than what the Apostle Paul had and the disciples had, yet we're reaching fewer and fewer people. And there's still 3.4 billion people is mind-blowing that have not even heard about Jesus Christ. And so far in our world, there's been 17,455 individual people groups in our world that has been identified. And of those 17,000, 7,398 people groups are unreached. That's the lostness of our world. 42% of the world population haven't even heard about who Jesus is. That is something that should bring river of tears from our eyes, and it should lead us to repent of our complacency. Because the Bible says that judgment is not coming to the outside world first. The Bible says that judgment is coming to the house of God first. 1 Peter 4.17 says this. It says, for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Point number three comes from chapter 3. Jonah gets out of the belly of the fish. God commands this big fish, whatever it was. And it's not, here's the way I look at it. It's not beyond the God that I know to create one specific fish just for this occasion. (laughs) I don't know what type it was. I don't know if it was a one-time creation that God had, if we've never seen one before or seen one after that. But the God I know can do amazing miracles just like that. And this could be something that God created and put in place just for Jonah. And that may leads me to believe that whatever situation you're in is that God can create a circumstance that will help get you out of that situation or through that situation. That's his sovereignty. Chapter 3, Jonah gets out of the belly of the wheel. And look, guess what happens? The word of the Lord comes to Jonah the second time. <laughs> what do you think Jonah did? Nope, I'm going back to Tarshish. I'm going the other way. No, that's not what, Jonah learned his lesson. He repented while he was in the belly of the fish. And here's what I want you to see about chapter three. When we respond accordingly to God's warnings, we will then see true revival. I've told you this time and time and time again. Obedience brings blessings. Disobedience brings cursings. You can see that in the book of Deuteronomy. There's two chapters devoted specifically for that. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. When you're obedient to the Lord, good things begin to happen because when God sees you're obedient, he says, you're ready for me to do something about what's going on. So if you're waiting to see something going on in a positive way here in our culture, if you're waiting for see God's hand move in our community, he's looking for your obedience first. He's looking for my obedience first. 
And when that takes place, when we respond accordingly to God's warnings, when we hear his word, when we hear his voice, and we become doers of the word and not just hearers only, it is then that we will see true revival. How many of you want to see revival take place in our area? Amen. And you're obligated to do something about it. That wasn't a trick question. I wasn't setting you up. I'm just stating a principle right here. It's up to us. How many lost people do you see flocking to our churches these days saying, I need to be saved? No, we need to go out and be obedient, fulfill the Great Commission, go into the world and preach all the gospel. I'm about to get fired up here. Is somebody getting fired up about this? We need to be busy. God is telling us, just like he told Jonah, get up and go and invite somebody to be here next week. Share the gospel with them. They're waiting on you to share the good news with them. There's enough bad news in our world today. There's enough fake news in our world today. People want to see something real. They want to see something genuine. They want to hear your testimony. You may think that your testimony and the story of your life and your salvation is not interesting, but to someone, it's proof that God does exist. Jesus saves And there is something to this life that we call the abundant Christian life. Amen? If we want to see real revival take place, then we need to respond accordingly to what God is telling us to do. We need to earnestly seek him in all of our ways. Chapter 3, verse 1 shows us that this same message comes to Jonah. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time Arise, because Jonah's sitting on the beach. He's got whale slobber all over him. He's got seaweed wrapped around his head. His skin is bleached because of the acid in the fish's stomach. God says, get up off of that beach and go do what I told you to do the first time. Parents, some of you can relate to that. (laughs) I know I can. One little whopping on the behind, one scolding, you get their attention. They said, now go do what I told you to do the first time. Most of the times you get a pretty good result from that. But God says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. And something incredible happens from this. Jonah says, well, I didn't expect that. No, he knew what was coming. God gave him the message. Look down in verse 4. Here's the message that Jonah cried out. He entered into the city on the first day's walk and he cried out and said, Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Simple message, straight to the point. He didn't have to spend time doing a three-point sermon. He didn't have to study for it. God gave him the words to speak. And you know what happened? 120,000 people got right from the greatest to the least of them, from the oldest to the youngest, from the king to the servants, everyone in the city got right with the Lord because Jonah finally obeyed. He quit resisting, he quit running, he quit hiding, and he did exactly what the Lord told him to do. Look at what happened, verse five, the people of Nineveh believed God, this pagan nation, This ungodly city, these evil and wicked people, they obeyed the message that the Lord had sent from Jonah. 
Not only did they believe God, but they proclaimed a fast. There's evidence that revival had taken place. There's evidence of their obedience. There's evidence of their seriousness in their walk with God. They said, we believe God. We want him to be our God. We want to follow him. We hear the words that you're saying, Jonah, and we want to be obedient to what God is telling us to do. They put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Even the king, the king and his nobles, he said, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. That's how serious they were. And within that 40-day time period, God relented of the disaster that he was going to bring on Nineveh. Verse 10, then God saw their works. God sees your obedience. Your obedient life, your repentance, your kind acts to others, those are all evidence that God sees. And God says, I know that your faith is genuine because I see what you're doing. And God saw the result of the people's repentance He saw them fasting. He saw them praying. He saw them putting on sackcloth and ashes. He says, these people are serious about getting right with me. He saw their works and they turned from their evil ways and God relented from their desert. Oh, how I pray for God to relent for the evil and wicked things that are going on in our nation right now. But until God sees us getting serious about our walk with him, sharing the gospel and bringing others to a place where there's a place for them to learn about his kindness and his love and his mercy. I don't think God's going to relent. But this tells me enough that when God sees the evidence of the church getting up and being obedient and doing what we're supposed to be doing and not being complacent, God will then relent off the disaster that's coming in our nation. God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them and did not do it. With a new sense of urgency, Jonah went straight to Nineveh, preached the message. The people of Nineveh got right, but unfortunately, Jonah didn't get it right. He didn't understand the implications of what had just happened. What happened to the people of Nineveh was not what Jonah wanted them to get. But whenever we get right and we get focused on hearing from the Lord and responding to what he is telling us, we will see true revival. Chapter four, the fourth point I want to make in the last point is that when people do get saved, our only response should be to rejoice. What do you want to see happen in your neighborhood? What do you want to see happen in our city here? What do you want to see happen in our country? When one person walks this aisle, when one person gets right with the Lord, when rock stars like Alice Cooper get saved, even after the life that they've lived, I watched Greg Glory make an interview with Alice Cooper the other day and how he got saved, and it was just incredible. A lot of times we see people that have lived a wicked life and they all of a sudden get saved and say, God, why, why did you save that person? Because he loves them the same way that he loves you. And on our Sunday school this lesson this morning, Judas betrayed Jesus, but you know what? Jesus loved him just like he loved us. Jesus loved him just like he loved the other disciples. And even though he knew that Judas's heart was black, wicked, and dark, 
He didn't expose it. He didn't make a show out of him, and he didn't scold him for it. He just said, you do what you got to do. That's because Jesus loved him just like he loved all the others. And whenever we see someone get saved, it doesn't matter who it is. That should bring excitement in our heart. Those rivers of tears should turn into shouts of joy because somebody gave their life to the Lord. Jesus told the parable about the 100 sheep. 99 were safe. One was lost, and that's the one that he went looking for. He left the 99 to go after that one. And there was 120,000 people that didn't know the Lord. And God said, I want you to be my prophet to go share this message with them because I want them to be saved. Jesus' goal on this earth was this, Luke 19.10. Jesus said that the Son of Man has not come to be served, but to give his life as a ransom for many. Excuse me, that's Mark 10.45. Luke 19.10, Jesus said the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. The Apostle Paul, his goal, Romans 10.1, he says, My heart's desire and my prayer for Israel is that they may be saved. And in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 4, Paul says this. He says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And in Luke 15.7, Jesus said it himself. He says, There's more joy in the presence of angel in heaven when one sinner repents. I was thinking about that last night. Tiger Stadium. I don't know. There was probably 90, 100,000 people, maybe more there. What do you think happens when LSU scores a touchdown? Man, that place just erupts. They've measured it on the Richter scale before. Everybody in that stadium pretty much celebrates. It's deafening. You have to hold your ears. I've been there before. Just think about the celebration that goes on in heaven. When on friend day, your lost friend comes in and says, you know, I want to get saved. And they come down to this aisle with a repentant heart. And I get to pray with them. And they step out in faith and they accept Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. You know what happens? There's a celebration that breaks out in heaven. And if the angels of heaven celebrate over one person getting saved, we should too. I love it when we baptize someone here. When we bring them up out of the water, man, this whole place just applauds and cheers because they've taken that step of faith and they've become a member of God's family. You would think that that would be how Jonah responded to the city of Nineveh getting saved, but unfortunately that is not how the story ends. The emotions got the best of Jonah. He was still angry with the Lord because he didn't pour out his wrath upon the people of Nineveh. Here's what's crazy about this whole story of Jonah. God told his prophet first what to do. He disobeyed. God told the storm what to do and the storm obeyed him. God told the waves what to do and the waves obeyed him. God told the fish what to do and the fish obeyed him. God told this plant to give Jonah shade and the plant obeyed him. God told a worm to eat the plant and the plant obeyed him. But the man of God disobeyed the Lord. 120,000 people got the message and they obeyed the Lord. They repented. But the one person who should have obeyed the Lord and should have been happy over all of this taking place, he was not happy about it. And when he got the message of the Lord the first time, he disobeyed. Maybe you're here today 
Maybe you know that you're resisting the Lord's calling on your life. Maybe today you need to give your life to Jesus. Why hesitate? Why would you put it off any longer? Why would you want to spend any more time going through this storm or sleeping in the belly of the fish outside of the will of the Lord, not obeying his calling upon your life? Why would you say, God, I know you have the gift of eternal life that you want to offer me, but not today. Why would you want to wait any longer? Why would you want to hesitate on those decisions when God gives you the opportunity? He says, today is a day of salvation. And if you'll get right today with the Lord, he'll do great and mighty things in your life and through your life. And if you want to see our community turn around and get on fire for the Lord, you get on fire first. Maybe you're here today and God is telling you to invite a specific person to friend day next week. As soon as you walk out the doors, send them a text message right now. This is the only time I'm going to allow you to use your cell phone in church. <laughs> send them a text message. Hey, look, come come be with me next week. Or when you leave here, go by their house and, and invite them. And just say, hey, look, we want you to come go with us next week. And why not during the invitation, why not here in just a few moments when the music begins, Come down to these altars. We have plenty of cards here on these front pews. Get over one of these cards and say, God, I'm going to give this to so-and-so. I've got a friend at work that needs this, and I want you to set up an arrangement right now. I want you to set up an appointment, a time where you'll give me the strength to talk to them, but most of all that you'll help them to respond to the invitation to come and hear the gospel. Jonah was mad over the people of Nineveh getting saved. And the story of Jonah ends so abruptly. God saved the entire town. Jonah said, it's, I'm angry about what happened. I'm angry enough even to die over what happened. My hope and prayer is, is that's not your feelings right now. My hope and my prayer is that you're broken over, first of all, your own sin. And I hope that you're broken over the sins of our nation. And I hope that the Holy Spirit is poking at a place in your heart right now. And I hope that you will have the courage enough to respond to what God is telling you to do. Maybe you're here and you need to get saved. Maybe you've never heard the gospel before. Let me just say this. God loves you. Jesus died for you. And he wants to be a part of your life today. Don't hesitate. In just a moment, step out in faith. Come grab him by the hand and say, Brother Tracy, I'm not saved. I want to know how I can accept Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. I want to know how I can be a better Christian. I want to know how I can live my life wholeheartedly for the Lord, and I'll pray for you. If you need someone else to pray for you, we've got deacons available. We've got ladies available that would love to pray for you as well. Whatever God is asking you to do today, don't hesitate. Because he's looking for a group of people that will be instantly obedient to what he's asking them to do. Every head bowed and every eye closed. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The gospel is so simple. It's as simple as ABC. 
First of all, you admit that you're a sinner. You say, God, I know that I have a sin problem. I know that I've been disobedient. And then you believe that Jesus Christ died to pay the penalty of your sin. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But it all starts with a confession and a commitment. Jesus did nothing uh, in secret. He did everything publicly and openly. Everybody he called, he called them publicly. There are no undercover Christians. That's why we do public baptisms. Your confession today, you come down to this this aisle. You, you get on a pew and pray. You, you talk to me about it. Say, Brother Tracy, I want to commit my life to the Lord. I want him to forgive me of my sins. I believe that Jesus died in my place. And from this moment on, I commit to walk with him and follow with him. The Bible says, if you'll call out to the Lord and ask him to save you, he will. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Is that you today? Is your walk with the Lord where it needs to be? Have you never publicly confessed Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Let today be that day. Don't hesitate. In just a moment, when I say amen, the music's going to begin. That's going to be your cue to respond to whatever the Lord's asking you to do. Heavenly Father, I come before you today. I thank you so much for your word, Lord God. I thank you for the word that you've spoken to us this morning. God, I want to be obedient, first of all, to what you're asking me to do. I know that there's something else, Lord God. I know that there are things in my life that I need to address. I know that my prayer life is not perfect, Lord God. I know that I'm not witnessing the way that I should. Lord, I want to be obedient to what you're calling me to do. So help me to be that person. Help me to be that man that you want me to be. Help me to be the pastor that this congregation needs me to be. Lord, forgive me of the times that I've failed you and I've resisted and I've hesitated. And now, Lord, I pray over this congregation. We all have a story. We all have a purpose for being here. And I pray, Lord God, that as Christians now begin to pray for those around them, that those here who do not know you as their Lord and Savior, that you would give them the boldness to step out and say, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want him to clean my heart, and I want him to make me a new person. And I want to be a part, Lord God, of helping them do that today. So I pray that you'll have your way in this invitation, Lord God, and do what only you can do. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's the preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.